Good morning, church. Get this on here. Uh, my name is Phil Thomas. I am one of the elders here at King's Cross. And this morning I will be continuing our Advent series as we look ahead towards Christmas. And up until now, we have been anticipating the birth of Jesus. And if you haven't listened to our previous sermons, I strongly encourage you to go back and listen to both Pastor Clint and Pastor Luke because they have laid a lot of the groundwork leading up to this moment. And for many of us, we know this story, right? The coming of Jesus. And we do all that we can to prepare our hearts to celebrate the coming of Christ. But for many of us here today, we know that he's already come. Well, maybe not everybody knows that. Maybe this is your first time coming to this story. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. He's already came, lived, died, and resurrected. And eventually he will come again. So from our point of view today, here in 2023, we have an advantage. However, our anticipation of this good news might not hit us the way it ought to because of that. Which is why every year, most Christians celebrate the advent or the coming of the Messiah. But I want us all to consider. Consider this morning how our lives are engaging with the good news of great joy. See, as we come to this text this morning, we must remember that prior to the birth of Jesus, prior to God speaking through the angels to, to Mary, to Joseph, to Zechariah, as we've heard in the last sermons, God had been silent for 400 years. 400 years. The book of Malachi records for us in chapter 4, verse 5, some of the last words of God spoken to us through his prophet. And Malachi was saying this. He said, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Yet, 400 years go by. No Elijah, no prophecies, no voices or words of God were recorded for us until now, 400 years later. They know what it was like to anticipate, to long for, to wait for the coming Messiah, for the great and awesome day of the, great, of the Lord and you have to wonder, do they begin to doubt if God would keep his word? Do they begin to doubt if God would, would, has, has left them there all alone? If you were in their shoes and 400 years have gone by, would you begin to wonder or start to believe that maybe God has forgotten about his people, about you? Where are you this morning? Do you feel distant from the Lord, not having heard from him in a while? Are you wondering if God is even there? 
Are you wondering, uh, do you feel as though your joy has been zapped and you can't get out of a rut? Are you stuck? And each morning, as you crawl out of bed, unable to find joy, wondering, are these promises even true for you? Maybe you're not there now, but you've been there. Or maybe you will be there one day. But wherever you are this morning, consider with me, because I believe that this passage this morning has a word for all of us. And it's this. When good news of great joy comes to us, it warrants a glorious response. When good news of great joy comes to you, it warrants a glorious response. With that in mind, let me pray asking the Lord to help us even this morning to hear the good news of great joy and that we would trust it and have a glorious response towards it. Pray with me. Father God, I pray, help us to hear your words. Help us to trust it. Help us to see the coming of Jesus as as your way of bringing forth your word into a dark world and that we, because of him, can have life everlasting. We pray all these things in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. My first point is this, that good news, there's good news. God is sovereign. God is sovereign. In the beginning of our text, we are told a couple of things to set up our scene. First, we are told that Israel is under Roman rule and authority. We are told that Caesar, Augustus, and Quirinius were in power. And Caesar, Augustus, he he sends out a decree that all the world should be registered for taxes. In fact, historians believe that this was one of the defining moments for Caesar, Augustus, that, that helped turn the city of Rome into the illustrious empire that it came to be. We're told this because at first glance that It just feels like a bunch of information of facts. Like this happened, that happened, this was going on. But when we take a look a little deeper, we can see the threads of God's sovereign hand moving the chess pieces to fulfill his will, to carry out his plans. I don't want you to miss it. What the first century Jew would have been taught is that God had already ordained and orchestrated the birthplace of the Messiah. So while some just saw the the powers of the government's hand at work, we are called to look further and see that God's hands, it rules even those in power like Caesar Augustus. We can look back some 750 years before this moment And the prophet Micah spoke about how all of this would come about. Micah 5, verse 2, in verses 4 and 5, it tells us this. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. And he shall stand in the shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord and the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be a great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. 
See, Micah prophetically announced this to the world. Bethlehem. Bethlehem is where the new ruler from of old, from ancient days will come. Bethlehem, which means house of bread, would become the birthplace of Jesus, who we know today to be the bread of life. Bethlehem, known for being a place where they would raise up lambs on designated land, considered holy pastures. This was the place where they would send those lambs to be sacrificed in the temple before God. And yet this is where the Lamb of God would be born. And eventually Jesus would be the Lamb that was slain and sacrificed for our sake. We ought to take great comfort in that none of these things happened by chance. God was at work behind the scenes. His sovereignty is, in, is on full display. There is no king or ruler or president or anyone where our God is not ultimately in control. Clint reminds us of this often, something that Pastor John says, God is always doing 10,000 things in your life, and yet you may only be aware of three of them. Praise God, we serve an ultimate sovereign God and, and not one that is only reacting to the circumstances of our day. Praise God, he's the one fulfilling all of his plans and not one of them will fail. The good news is that our God is sovereign. And this good news is of great joy. Point number two, good news of great joy because of his sovereignty, his plan to redeem the world through his son has arrived. The wait is over. The anticipation of the coming Messiah has been met because the Messiah is here. Good news of great joy is being announced, but by whom and to whom? Well, let's read. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 12, it was read earlier. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Christ, the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Good news of great joy has come to us as a baby. He is Christ, the Lord, our Savior. This is what many have been waiting for, longing for. And so we have an unnamed angel of the Lord who appears to shepherds who are in the same region, in the same area of Bethlehem. And I imagine for the shepherds, right, this would have been one heck of a night to remember. They're tending to their sheep. Some of them are sleeping, some of them are awake. And out of nowhere, boom, angel shining brightly, waking everyone up, saying, listen to what I have to say. I have an announcement. Again, 
These shepherds were thought of as a lower class, a despised class of people. And yet out of all the places, out of all the the people, the Lord through this angel chooses to make this grand announcement to who? To these shepherds? I mean, any news coming from angels would have been staggering, but, but for the shepherds to be the first ones included in on this grand announcement is sobering. I mean, think about it. I mean, this sobers those who are tempted to be filled with their pride because of their status. It's the shepherds who first hear of the newborn Messiah. Not kings, not those who were in power, not those who were well thought of. They were lowly shepherds. We don't know why specifically, but we can make biblically informed assumptions. Maybe it's because throughout Jesus' ministry, he came to heal the sick, not those who were well. Maybe it's because Jesus came to bring sight to the, to the blind, not to the ones you say, I already can see. The first will be last and the last first. We shouldn't be surprised that the good news of great joy comes to lowly shepherds. No, we should be encouraged that if the good news could come to shepherds who were seen so lowly, who were despised, then there's hope for us too. The good news can can come to us. Let us not think that we are greater than the shepherds, not at all, but let us be encouraged that if good news of great joy was first given to the shepherds, then there's hope that good news can reach all of us. Amen? But this wasn't just any good news. This was good news of great joy. The angel of the Lord says that this good news of great joy is first found in Jesus, the baby born unto them. And secondly, he says that this good news of great joy can be trusted in saying that this will be a sign for you. You can go and find this baby. Go and look. You can count on it. Great joy is tangible, not something mystical. Great joy can be experienced, can be seen and known because great joy is found in Christ, a person. Therefore, we can trust it. There is good news of great joy for you and I this morning. However, when you hear good news, what do you do? I mean, think of the last time you were given good news. I mean, some of y'all are probably like, well, that's like well before COVID. I haven't had good news before COVID. But think about it. How did you respond when you were given good news? And we know this because not all news is good news. In fact, not all good news is of great joy. And so in our text this morning, there's something different about this news Something noteworthy for us to pay attention to. As our text reveals, an announcement is made that the angel of the Lord is bringing good news of great joy that will be for all people. This is different. See, I think for some of us, 
were probably a little bit numb to news that would be as shocking as this. Because, because breaking news surrounds us all the time. CNN, Fox News, Twitter, news floods our minds whether we want it to or not. I mean, you really have to commit to, to living a life like a, a hermit, purposefully avoiding such news breaking into our phones, into our emails, into our social circles, you name it. We have been so desensitized by the breaking news of our world that reading of the newborn Messiah, that's what gets lost and swept over that's what gets forgotten about as if, you know, it's just another headline, another viral tweet here for a moment. But like all trends will just fade away, easily forgotten. We'll come back to that next Christmas. But friends, please don't miss it. This isn't ordinary news. This season isn't even just good news. This is good news of great joy. Good news of great joy was breaking into the world. Good news of great joy was coming to reach all of the people in the world. But not as you might think. Not as an earthly king. Not with a military sword. Not as one who would take away all of your earthly problems. This good news of great joy came to us as a baby. Came to us as a, as a baby and he came as a savior who is Christ the Lord. He came in the most humble of ways and in the most humble of places. We're told that the angel of the Lord told the shepherds that this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. A manger, not in the comforts of Joseph and Mary's home, not in a hospital with a bunch of things to be able to take care of them, but in a manger laid in an animal's feeding trough. This is not how you would assume that the Son of God, the, the Messiah, would enter into the world. There's no room in the end, as we're told, and, and God saw it fit that Jesus, his, his son, would be born in a small town in Bethlehem, laid in a feeding trough meant for animals. Fabidiana Buile says it like this, before there is glory, there must first be humility. That is the way the kingdom of God operates. In the kingdom of God, first comes humility, then comes glory. We see this modeled for us right from the Savior's birth. True greatness is not always visible greatness. The incarnation of the Son of God in animals' feeding trough puts our glory-craving hearts in check. This good news of great joy this good news of great joy is not how you and I would have written the script. If we're honest with ourselves, this story should jolt us because this is not the storyline of anyone who's in control, who's sovereign, would write it for themselves. 
the king of the universe, born in such a lowly place. This can't be, can it? Certainly the shepherds would have asked themselves this question. Could God's word be trusted? Are these words really trustworthy that the Messiah would be found in a manger here in little old Bethlehem? See, whether uh, you are a Christian or not, friends, whether you are growing in your faith or just exploring, Luke, the the writer, wants you and I as the readers to, to consider and to know that God's word can be trusted. This good news of great joy can be trusted because these words came from the Lord. If you've been with us the last few weeks, you'll see the pattern beginning to build. God said, and it came to be. I mean, 400 years went by and the people of God hadn't heard from him. So he's reminding his people that his word is trustworthy. I mean, just look back in chapter 1, verse 13. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Zechariah responds, verse 18, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. Right? Elizabeth was barren, and yet we know God comes through. God's word can be trusted because though the circumstances weren't ideal, though they were of old age, she was barren. They haven't heard from God in 400 years. But God said it, and she gave birth to their son, John. John 1, Luke 1, 37 says, for nothing will be impossible with God. And then the Lord speaks to Mary, saying in chapter 1, verse 31, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Mary's response to this is like verse 34. How would this be? (laughs) Sounds like Elizabeth. How would this be since I am a virgin? Again, the circumstances weren't ideal. So could God's word be trusted? Yes. Verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy Son of God. This is how it will come to pass. God said it. And now look back at our text in verse 7. We see God's word proving trustworthy. And she, Mary, gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swallowing cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in an inn. The answer to whether or not God's word could be trusted is found right here. The son of God was born. Mary was a virgin, yet his word was true again because nothing is impossible with God. Zachariah and Elizabeth had to trust the words of God. Joseph and Mary had to trust the words of God. This is the pattern we see here in in Luke. God is proving to his people that his word is trustworthy. So when we see the angel of the Lord again now coming to the shepherds, will they also trust the word of God? The angel of the Lord gave them a sign to look for, a baby wrapped in swallowing cloths and lying in a manger. 
And then what happens? The shepherds go. They trust that they would indeed find this baby. Verse 13, the shepherds say to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord had made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. God's word once again proves to be trustworthy. Church, is there something you're not trusting the word of God with today? Are you so distracted by the, by the news of the world that you're giving all of your trust to those things instead of turning to the good news found in your Bibles? What would it look like for you and I to, to put our phones down, to turn the TVs off and spend an extra 20 or 30 minutes seeking the good news of great joy? Don't do it alone. Do it with your, your family. Get them involved. Read the word with them, with your, your kids. Ask a friend to join you in a study plan and you can pursue the word together. This is what it looks like to trust the word and not the world. You and I might not ever see an angel of the Lord directly bringing to us good news of great joy, although that would be incredible. But we have something far better in the word of God. All of us who are Christians have been filled with the Holy Spirit who guides us into all truth. And so we've been given access through his word to this great joy of being in Christ. Second Peter 1 verse 19 says, And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. If you're lacking joy today, great joy, you will find it in no other place but in the word of God and in the person of Christ. Good news of great joy came to you and I in the flesh as a baby wrapped in swallowing cloths. And this good news of great joy is trustworthy. And because it's trustworthy, it warrants a glorious response. Good news is glorious, is it not? Earlier I asked how, how would you respond if good news of great joy came to you? One of the wonderful things that Luke reveals to us here in these passages are real responses by real people. And so when we saw that the angel of the Lord showed up in a field out of nowhere, the shepherds were afraid, very afraid. I mean, we could, we could understand that. Of course they were. Or like when the angel tells them about the Messiah who was just born and here's a sign to, to go and find him. The shepherds go with haste. These are the kinds of responses we can relate to because we kind of think in our own selves that we would respond that way. But let me point out some glorious responses, ones that we may, may have missed in this passage. The first one is not the shepherds, but it's, it's Joseph and Mary. 
See, when the census goes out decreeing that everyone return to their hometown to be registered for taxes, the Roman law would not have required that Mary herself would need to go with Joseph on this trip. I mean, think about it. She's in the last few weeks of her pregnancies, her pregnancy. She is literally weeks away, but yet she chooses to endure such a grueling journey. Her response is glorious, is it not? I mean, could you imagine any of the women who have been pregnant here? Are you taking a trip for 80 miles walking? I mean, that's a glorious response. But why? Why would she agree to go, to put herself through all of that? Most theologians can agree that it's certainly because of the will of God displaying his, his sovereignty, as we spoke about earlier, but, but also just, just because Joseph and Mary, they probably didn't want to be separated at the birth of the Messiah. And so they go together some 80 miles in response to this census, all the while fulfilling the promises of God. What a glorious response. We don't just see Joseph and Mary's glorious response, but even the angels respond gloriously. Verse 13, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. If there was ever any doubt if the angels knew how to get down and praise God, insert this praise break where a multitude of angels pop out of heaven and start praising God. Glory to God in the highest. On earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. The good news of great joy is announced to these shepherds. And a host of angels could not contain themselves. I mean, they couldn't stop. They just, they literally, they break out of the spiritual world and they enter into ours and begin to praise God. What a glorious response. R.C. Sproul said this was the first singing of the Gloria in Excelsis Deo. Glory to God in the highest. But it's not just the angels. We look a little further and we see how the good news of great joy in the flesh is beginning to impact people. Luke 2, 17 through 20. And when they saw it, when the shepherds saw the baby... They made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Jesus, the the newborn baby, is already stirring up the hearts of people who were beginning to engage with him. The good news of great joy is that as the shepherds begin telling everyone all that had been told to them concerning Jesus, people began to wonder, could it be? Is this the one? Has God answered our forefathers' prayers? The Messiah, the long-awaited one, the, the anointed one, is this him? You can imagine 
the buzz beginning to, to stir up within the people. And all the while, Mary, the mother of Jesus, was, was watching, listening. She's, she's treasuring up all these things, pondering them in her heart, clinging to the very words spoken to her that Jesus was the Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Reflecting on her spirit, rejoicing in her soul, magnifying the Lord as we heard about last week. Even the shepherds respond gloriously in this moment. They begin to return back to their homes, we see. But not silently. Not quickly passing over the moment as if engaging with the Messiah was only worth their time once a year. They leave the scene, but their worship continues. They went glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. They go and tell others. They go and spread the word. They go and tell everyone about everything they've witnessed about Jesus Christ. These were not ordinary responses. These were glorious ones. Friends, when good news or great joy comes to you, it warrants a glorious response. Is this not the response we see even later in Revelation chapter 5 and chapter 7 where they, they were singing, worthy is the lamb who was slain. Christ who was slain and by his blood he ransomed people for God. They were singing, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This is what it looks like to, to, to gloriously respond to the, to the coming of Christ. We worship Jesus as the Christ, the, the Messiah, because he lived the perfect life and willingly gave up his life for ours. 2 Corinthians 5.21 reminds us, for our sake, God the Father made Christ the Son to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We worship Jesus as, as Lord because he demands all of our lives. You cannot come face to face with the, with the living God and return unscathed, unhindered, or un, un, unaltered. Christ will not let it be. His coming into the world was meant to change everything. We worship him as Savior because his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, all of it was so that you and I could be saved from our sin, rescued from the bondage of our brokenness. And as the angels sing, he intends to bring peace to those he is pleased with. Those who have surrendered to him, to those who have trusted in his words. So this Christmas, church, as you engage with Christ of the scriptures, as you engage with the most breaking, earth-shattering news that has ever been announced, would you respond like the angels and break out in worship 
Would you respond like, like Mary and, and treasure Christ in your hearts? Would you respond like the shepherds and go and tell everyone and tell anyone? Because the good news of great joy has come. He's come. Visitors, friends, if there are any non-Christians here this morning, would you, like the shepherds, consider this word? Consider that in Christ, good news of great joy has come to you this morning. Psalm 1611 says this, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Christ has come. Eternal life is available to you through him. Fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. There's no better gift to consider than to seek the good news of great joy found in Christ Jesus. That would be a glorious response. Let me pray.